Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna Demedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. I have such a great episode for you today. Honestly, I was going through it, editing, trying to pull out some clips that I want to use for promotion of the episode. And it was so hard to pick just one. There are so many good topics that I cover today with the Sarah Frazier. She's the host of The Sarah Frazier Show. She's done a podcast for Fox 5 in DC, a true crime podcast called The Mansion Murders. She's been on popular radio shows, popular TV shows. She's definitely somebody to watch. She's been in the game a long time, but she is far from done. And she also has been through a lot of grief and a lot of trauma, and she brings a lot of great information to us today. Most specifically, she lost her father, and in her quest to get pregnant, she had a miscarriage. One of the things that I really admire about her the most is she's so open about everything that she goes through in her life. You really should go follow her on Instagram. She's at the Sarah Fraser show and listen to her podcast. You can't not laugh, not feel like you're just sitting there chit-chatting with one of your best friends about everything going on in the world. Sarah Fraser is so talented. I feel so lucky to have her on the show today. And we cover a lot. We laugh. We cried. We're both new moms that are very hormonal. There were a lot of tissues involved in this episode, but it's, it's part of bringing the realness to you guys. So without further ado, Sarah Fraser. Hey, Gianna. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I just have a screaming child, but I know you're used to that. So. That's fine. I have one too. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. I think this is so important what we're doing. And this little guy, I'm going to give over to his dad. But if he fusses, we can just edit. And he's in the room with you right now. Yeah, yeah. He's like laying on my, um, he's gotten used to this is because I'm sitting in like my little podcast area. So he's gotten used to now sitting in my lap while I do the podcast. That is so, so cute. Loves. He <gasps> there we go. Yeah. I should just leave him in my lap, but his dad's checking him out. I am super excited to even be sitting here talking to you. Like, I really do feel like I'm sitting here talking with a celeb. So how I even got to connect to you in the first place, which I thought was so funny too. I remembered I was laying in bed watching Bring the Funny. And Andrea Lopez, who was your former co-host, was on. And I was just very taken aback by her. Like, I, I just thought she was so fantastic. And I went to go look her up. And I just, like, loved all the content that she had. And then I saw that she was on your show. So then I started following you. And, I mean, that was, like, maybe, like, beyond two years ago. Yeah. So then for – it's a, like, like, I knew – then you started following me and I figured, okay, well, she probably lost somebody to have like an interest in my content, but I did not realize that it was your dad until you said something about it recently. Yeah. So my dad passed away when I was 14 um, and he died of cancer. He had esophageal and stomach cancer and totally like blew up my whole family unit, you know, cause we were, I mean, my parents, like they hung out with us all the time. I, I had great parents. Um, I'm still super close to my mom. She's like my best friend. Yeah. So how many siblings? I have a one younger brother. Okay. 
one younger brother. And you know, yeah, I think, I think your podcast is so important because you don't realize how grief shows up in your life if you don't deal with it later on, mm -hmm. which was totally my story. Like I started essentially like an eating disorder and disordered eating. I hadn't even really, really, yeah. But I mean, I really, I started my first diet when I was 12 years old. You know, my mom okay. took me to a Weight Watchers meeting, um, <laughs> which I'm always like, mom, why would you do that? And oh like, yeah. I don't know. You wanted to lose weight. So I wanted to encourage you. He was like, okay, pack it up. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, why they even allowed me to become a member. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, <laughs> So it started this roller coaster of basically eating away my sadness for years. And I never put two and two together until I went to a therapist later in life, actually a mindful eating therapist. And she's the one that really put the connection together. And then I really didn't process that grief until I was like 29. Really? Yeah. Okay. And what brought that on at 29 when you started seeing the therapist? Yeah. So what brought me to, uh, so I've worked in media since I graduated from college, which was like 2004. And so 2005, I moved to DC, start in radio. That's how I got my career. So I, but the more that we, we were sort of starting our radio show and the radio show took off at the start of the internet. So people were very curious about what you look like. And I also started working for a TV station. And always had been an overweight kid, always had gained and lost, did every diet, you know, Weight Watchers numerous times, South Beach diet, Atkins would gain the weight, lose the weight, gain it back. So people um, started to comment on my weight. They'd be, they'd see me on TV and they'd be like, oh my God, you know, you'd be so pretty if you just lost 20 pounds. Ugh. And that totally at the time I had no self-confidence that messed with me so much. Yeah, of course. I got a personal trainer. I was doing weigh-ins every week and it, and I was binge eating like more than ever. I was secretly eating. I would throw away food, eat it out of the trash. I mean, it was crazy, Gianna. So in a moment of desperation, I just was like, I cannot do another diet. I, I hated my body so much. It was like, I binged all weekend because I was going to start my diet on Monday. I, um, you know, I, I spent, honest to God, I probably spent thousands, Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars on diet books, diet programs, shakes, sure, the yeah. whole thing. Because there's a and, gimmick for everything. There's there's a ton of diets. There's a ton of different meal plans and this and that. And everybody's got their their magic cure for how it's going to work. Everybody. So in a moment of desperation, I sort of googled giving up dieting, DC, like loving your body, and this woman, Robin Mize, popped up, and she was a personal therapist, couples therapist, and a specialist in mindful eating. And so I started to see her and then she really is the one that unpacked the whole background of why I ate. Mm -hmm. I think that therapy in general, I'm on like this huge kick that like everybody and their mother should be in therapy. I think that it should be like primary care. Like you have a well visit every year, you should have a therapy visit every year. And then depending on what the, the prognosis is from that meeting, you get a script of, you know what, you should probably go once a month, or you should probably go, maybe we need to check in in another couple months. Or like for me, in my case, like I need to talk to you at least once an hour. Like yeah. that's probably what should happen with everybody in America. But it, 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 it is just the most unbelievable thing. And I praise my therapist for everything that she's done to help me be able to work through my grief. And yeah. even still, 
it is so difficult that like I don't I don't even want to fathom where I would be have had I not gone to therapy and have I not been dedicated to working through this. Just yesterday, and I know this is something else we'll get into, we're both new moms and I'm dealing with a lot of separation anxiety from my daughter. This is also being yes. a mom in the pandemic, you know? Like, I don't know how you are, but it, like, I don't have to leave the house really for anything. I prefer not to leave the house for anything. So I've just been with her for the first six, seven months of her life now. So I've been thinking that all this anxiety that I've been feeling has been, been able to be attributed to new mom stuff. Talked to my therapist yesterday, you know, she digs for her gold, finds it, strikes oil, stuff spouting up everywhere. I'm hysterically crying. I mean, like blubbering all over the place because she said one word about my dad and I lost it. And I realized it's actually more about the grief than, than I thought. So I wonder, was that a similar situation for you? What do you remember there being this breakthrough moment in therapy with, with this person of like, holy shit, this isn't just the body image, but there's this issue of my dad that I never really tackled. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm trying to think that's a great question. I'm trying to think of what was the conversation, like how it went there. But I, I think she asked me to start talking about like maybe if we ever, what we did as a family, I think when he passed away and even now I'm like emotional about it. I'll, I'll like start crying a little, but I think, you know, she asked me like as a family, like what we did and, and we really didn't do anything. Like he died. We kind of like did the funeral. We mourned him for like two weeks and then that was it. Like you were expected not to talk about it really. So I think, well, of course, and now I'm like super hormonal because my son's like 10 weeks old. So I'm also like post so anything. And he let it out, girl. This is the place. <laughs> I swear to God, Gianna, now I cry over everything. Like, uh, like uh, literally a commercial of like a mom and daughter. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I do, I still get emotional. Um, but I, you know, she had really said like, take me back. And I, I thought like the, the floodgates just opened and you know, what was a really great, I don't know if your therapist told, told you this, but for a long time, I could not talk like about him at all without like hysterically crying. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, not like just like tears coming up, but like could not get a hold of myself. And, and Robin would say to me, like, that's a sign that you haven't really worked through this because oh, yeah. right. Like you should get to the point where of course you still miss that person, but you can talk about them and, ha and have great memories of them instead of hysterically crying, you know? Yeah which probably I still need to do more. <laughs> I think I'm in that phase in terms of like my dad with my daughter, like I've gotten like, okay, like I've unpacked all of this stuff over here, just about like my life in general with my dad, you know, it was going through different phases as I'm sure you did too, of like, you know, for you, it was probably like graduating high school, graduating college. For me, it was getting through my wedding and the big milestones that he wasn't going to be there for. So I've unpacked those things in terms of my baby, like, I don't think I, I tap on that as, as much as I probably should. And that's one of them where like, I'm, I'm just trying to push it down <laughs> as much as possible. Well, it's not it's good. Like and I preach so much about how you got to do it. You got to let it out or otherwise you're going to be in situations like that where you, you're hysterically crying at even the, the slightest word of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so she really kind of got me, got me talking about it. And, and her big thing was like you, every time that you feel like you are going to be emotional, you need to just keep letting it out and letting it out and just letting those feelings be there. And so I really did that. And I think, 
it was just, it was so healing at the time. And, you know, it really made me like with mindful eating, anytime you eat when you're not hungry, you're really masking something. Mm-hmm. Could be grief, could be anger, could be abuse, could be, you know, whatever trauma, whatever was going on. So it just, she really made me correlate those two. And yeah, yeah, it was probably like a good year. We really worked through crying a lot. And normally I am really good, but I I think that just definitely the postpartum hormones are so strong. Oh yeah. They just (laughs) fuck you up in all sorts of ways. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that... I mean, going into, you know, the talking about postpartum and you've mentioned on your podcast recently, which I said, I was excited to talk with you about and in terms of like the whole body image, it's just completely wild what women have to go through with this. I, one of the biggest things I say is I think that it's, it's impressed upon you that as soon as you have the baby, you're supposed to look the way that you did prior to getting pregnant. Not even like, Oh, what you looked like yesterday before you pushed a 10 pound item out of your body. Like what you looked like nine months ago. So you immediately are just like set up for failure in that sense. It is interesting how people celebrate your body. They love your body when you're pregnant. Then the minute you're not, it's like, all right, you know, when are you going to start working out again? Yeah. But I just feel like a whole different person too. Like, obviously there's a whole thing of you go from just being a human to all of a sudden you're a mother, which you have this like incredible greater meaning in life, which is great. But I feel like I'm dressing somebody else in the morning. Yeah, me too. Me too. I do. I feel like, you know, because you're, I, I got so used to, I really sort of dealt with my um, eating issues and my mindful eating. I kind of lost a lot. I ended up losing about 30 pounds naturally when I started mindful eating and I gave up dieting and resolved my emotional eating issues. And that was like 32 years old, 33. So for like the past like six years, I've just, I've really liked my body, you know? Mm. And so it has been a total, yeah, but it's now I'm back at this place where like, wow, I haven't felt these thoughts about my body in a really long time. And it's like, now I get to really practice what I've been preaching for the past six years. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So this is what I'm wondering. So like, I'm saying all this about you, you don't feel like yourself. You're, you're, you're brought to like this lower point because like I said, how I'm feeling about, like, I just feel like I'm somebody else's body, somebody's different identity. So it's like, you knock yourself down a few notches in feeling that stability. And when you don't feel your best, that's when these other horrible emotions and anxiety and feelings creep in. And that's when it's, you know, it's like a cancer when the, the grief is just like, mm, perfect. Like, let me just latch right onto those cells and, and let me destroy everything around it. So do you feel that the, the this feeling around with, with um, the changing body and motherhood is, is it starting to pull in some of those other negative feelings or are you able to really stay on track with it? Oh, that's a good, you know what? I don't know if I've really thought about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has in this sense. And I, I guess I'm not sure if it's like postpartum hormones or if it's just this whole adjustment. Cause you're right. Like now becoming a mom, I'm thinking about so many things, you know, about the meaning of my podcast content, what I want the next 10 years to be, you mm-hmm. know? Um, So I do think, yes, there's a level of you're very vulnerable. Your hormones are all out of whack. And I think the body is like the catalyst to bring on some of these negative things. And like you said about your own father, 
then you have a baby, you think about your parents that are not here, that piles on emotion. So it, right. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great way to summarize it. And I'm experiencing that. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Like you said, it was like, okay, you're given the two weeks or you're given the however long people want to to award you with in order to grieve. And then it's like, okay, great, pack it away and that's it. And oh, if you're five, seven, 10, 20 years down the road, what are you so sad about? Like, what is there to even think about? Didn't you get over this years ago? But I don't think there's this realization that it can come up in so many different areas of your life at so many different years of your life for, for the different milestones that you're going through. It's, it's, it's ongoing. Totally. And I don't know how you feel, but you know, when you, especially when you lose a parent and I'm sure it's very, I'm sure it's very similar if you lose a sibling or somebody that you're very close to, you just, you really almost think about that person almost every day still. Yeah. You know, those memories get better. They get easier with time, but you're right. You just don't know when you're going to be triggered to have that emotion again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Somebody posted something the other day, one of the accounts that I follow, and it said something like, I like, tell me how, you know, you're a griever or something. And they, this person posted because I've cried at expiration dates on food. And I'm like, it's so true. I opened the fridge one day and there was a carton of milk and the expiration date was the date of my dad's death. And I just wanted to launch that carton of milk across the room. And it's like, wow. yeah, there are these little triggers and you don't know. And that, that was like last year, you know, I mean, that was like three years out from it. So it's, it's at all times, but give me a little snippet. Tell me about your dad. What was he like? Um, well, he was great. You know, I obviously I was only 14 when he passed. So I think one of my things that I've grieved is, uh, you know, I didn't really get to know him because, you know, when you're 14, you're like in your own world, you're in middle school, you know? Yeah. Um, but he was great. He was, uh, you know, he always ran grocery stores. He loved the grocery store business, which is very random, but, uh, he did that. He was a super active parent. My parents were every weekend, they were taking us out. You know, we were kayaking. I grew up in Maine, canoeing, boating, fishing. So very active as a parent, very funny. Um, both my parents have great sense of humors and, you know, an extremely hardworking person. So I think that I got that trait you know, and my brother too, we, we got those great traits from him of just a hardworking, honest person. He sounds lovely. (laughs) Well, I think he is. I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. So with your son, you incorporated your father's name into his name, which I I love. And we did that. If we had a boy, we were going to do that uh, with my dad's name was going to be incorporated somehow. And then with my daughter, her middle name is Louise because my mother-in-law who also passed away and my mom both share Louise as their middle name. So we thought perfect. I mean, it was just like no questions asked. So we, we pass it on to her. So tell us about little KJ who started us off this episode. Tell us about his name. Yeah, KJ, KJ made an appearance. Um, so Kimball Jeffrey is his name. And my husband actually lost uh, his father when That's he was right. 25. Yeah, so my husband's father's name w- was Jeff. And Jeff died of cancer as well. So we just, I think we just knew from the start, like if we had yeah. a boy, we were going to name them, you know, we were going to name him Kimball Jeffrey and call him KJ or we call him Cage. I and- love that. I do too. And you know, it's interesting again, like working through the grief all the time, but I actually feel so close to them. 
I, and of course I never yeah. knew, my, you know, I never knew my father-in-law, but I feel so close to them in having him as named after them, I guess, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I, I mean, I'm not like a, I obviously don't see ghosts, but I do feel like connected. You have premonitions though. I do have premonitions. You're not too far off. Don't, don't, don't like wince at this and make it seem like it's a weird world that you know nothing about. No, you have premonitions. I do have premonitions. So it's strange, but I feel closer to my dad than ever. It's really weird, but I just feel like he's just guiding KJ. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, well, I'm going to say something that you'll probably really wince at, but like my belief in all of this is that I really think it's just an end of their physical world. I think that their spiritual world and their, their spiritual being continues on. And I've had more than enough signs to really think that as the case. Really? Oh gosh. I could do a whole episode on that. My dad is, was so loud in the physical world and he continues to be that way. I mean, like even like before the funeral, he was sending signs and stuff that I was, yeah, like a lot of stuff. Anyway, I feel that my father and my mother-in-law were with my daughter before she was even with us. And so I'll give you like one little one. So I have this scar on my face right here. I was born with it. It was like a, one of those, what they call them like strawberries, the hemangiomas. It's like a cluster of blood vessels. So it was bright red when I was little, ended up fading over time. My dad used to explain it to me and say, when all the babies are going on the conveyor belt to earth, that's when God touched you right there and said, that one's special. And it was always like our little thing. Mm -hmm. So damn it, don't you know it? My daughter's born with the same thing. Get out. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, okay, that's your little sign. That's like, it might as well have been a mark that said pop-up was here. You know, so so just. That is totally. No, I agree with you, actually. I I do think that they are. Yeah, they're they're closer than we think. You're right. I think definitely spiritually. That's such a sweet story. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So is, are there traits of your dad that you, you hope that you'll start to see in KJ? I mean, that's one of the things that my husband and I talk about a lot of like, and, and I want to talk about that too with Schman. Like, is that a totally bonding thing between the two of you that you both lost a parent, like, especially to cancer, you probably went through similar experiences with it. Yes. And it's been interesting. Cause I think my husband, I don't think my husband had really grieved his dad until we started couples therapy, which we've been doing, oh my God, um, before KJ, like maybe we've been together eight years, maybe three years, four years. Okay, Love it. So it actually gave me a chance to almost kind of regrieve my father while watching Schman go through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think as you know, losing a parent like makes you kind of no longer like naive to the world, I guess. Like, you know, that you can like lose things, right? That bad things happen. Oh, that bad things happen. So I think it's, that definitely has brought us together in like a sense of living. You know what I mean? Like really celebrating life. Oh, 100%. I mean, that is our motto, basically, that, you know, we had two parents that died in their 60s that didn't get a chance to do all the things that they were supposed to do. So what the fuck are we doing? Just sitting, waiting around until we're retired and whatever age, like, let's do this stuff now. Let's, our thing is like to, to like have their, their legacy 
and to, to be able to say that we learned something and to be able to keep going. And I think it's, it would be really hard to be able to impress that upon somebody who hasn't gone through it, you know? So I think there is something so beautiful about my husband and I, and you and your husband, like, there's a reason you guys found each other. You know, there's a reason that he and I found each other totally. and it's to be able to have that support and to be able to like carry that out, you know? And Schman and I met sitting next to each other on an airplane. I, I know that oh, our, our cousin, actually, the, the story is, uh, Mark's cousin or Mark's mom was on a plane and struck up conversation with the girl next to him and didn't like Mark, my husband's girlfriend at the time and tried to push her onto him. And he was like, no, get out of my face. And then the, the cousin was like, actually, can I call her? And now they're married 10 years, two kids, the whole thing. God, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That is so well. I um I th I think it's it's you know, I I've said a ton. It's very hard to understand this world if you're not in it. So there's there's something about being yeah. able to connect with your closest person on that level. And that's not to say that other people that go through it, you know, can't have that special bond with their their spouse, but I think the spouse really has to be in a position to have a deep enough love to want to try to understand. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And even though I've been through it and Mark's been through it. There's still, we handle it differently. Everybody grieves differently. So I'm sure it's like, you know, Schman's grief is different from yours and you have to take some time to understand how he wants to do that. Oh, you're so right. I mean, yeah. And, and if you are with someone who's lost a parent, I mean, you really have to give them that space if you haven't lost yours because, or, or be supportive, like you said, because it is something that you and your husband have gone through. We we've gone through it's yeah, it definitely changes you. Yeah. And, and creates more of an urgency, like you said, to live. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Real quick. We hear so much about self-care. We talk about it on here a lot, how it's really important taking care of your body, but sometimes getting the energy to organize that self-care can be tough. So today I want to tell you about bite. It's a company for aligners for your teeth. The company offers daytime and nighttime aligners that you can get fitted for all from the comfort of your own home. The customer service is just unreal. They could not have made it any easier for me to get my aligners. They send out an impression kit. They call you to make sure that you got it, walk you through how to use it, and you send them back and professionals come up with this really personalized and very cool treatment plan. You can look at it virtually to see what your teeth are gonna look like each week as you put in the new aligners. It's pretty cool. They made just the impression process so easy that it really was a no-brainer for me to move forward with the aligners and it's really been so great since. I'm really happy that I took this step with self-care and invested in my smile. It's something I've been thinking about for a long time and I'm glad I did it. So with my specialized link, you can get $75 off of the impression kit. It's normally $100 and with my link, it's only $25 for you. And if you do move forward and get the aligners, which you totally should, $100 off of that. So a small investment to do a little bit of self-care and get on your way to aligners for that perfect smile. Use my link. It's fbuy.me slash v slash Gianna Demedio. I know that's a mouthful. Haha, uh -huh, no pun intended. F-B-U-Y dot M-E slash V slash G-I-A-N-N-A-D-E-M-E-D-I-O. I will put it in the show notes. So what I know about esophageal cancer is um, everything that I've learned from Robert Kardashian. Oh, I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that, not really funny, but 
ironic that they both had the same cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I had one other person in my family actually had it and it, it was, it was, it was quick, unfortunately. And I know that's how it was with Robert Kardashian. So was it the same with your father? Yeah. From diagnosis to death was like 14 months. Oh, wow. So very, very fast. I think he did, you know, maybe four or five months of chemo. Um, now this would have been in 1997. So there was really, and I, I think Robert Kardashian died in like, like three months or something. Yeah. And I, and his was in the nineties too. I think, I don't know if it was like 98. I mean, I think it was actually kind of close to when my dad yeah. had it. So very rare cancer. Um, was not much they could do. Um, ironically, I actually, when I dated a guy, I dated a man that was older for a while and he, he worked at a financial, at a, at a financial investment group. And he had actually had a coworker who was young and got it and has been cured. So it's awesome to see. It's just amazing to see like what science has done, you know, like what they can do with cancer now, certainly not all there's obviously very serious cancers that, that still, but like there wasn't really any option then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's So, so moving on a little bit then too, you, you meet man, you guys have this incredible bond, you go on to get married and pretty immediately you get pregnant. Yeah. So we got married in 2019 in August, 2019, like three weeks later after our wedding, we, uh, were pregnant, right? So pregnant with our first kid, we got pregnant. Like, Were the you trying at that point? Is this a question yeah. to ask? I don't even know if this is inappropriate to ask, oh. but I mean, like, was it like a super shock or you were like, no. all right, yeah, let's freaking go. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. And in okay. fact, I actually wanted to get pregnant before our wedding. I was uh, like, don't, no, total mistake. I know. That's what Dan said. Dan was like, Shaman was like, don't do it. You want to have fun at our wedding. Yeah. I had a lot of fun at the bachelorette parties leading up. I actually yeah. didn't drink at our wedding. Cause I was completely like drank out. Um, but yes. So we get pregnant like three weeks after, uh, we are married. Right. So we're thinking this is going to be terrific. Like this is like, we got pregnant the first time. This is going to be amazing. Everything was great. Like we go to our first appointment, all was well. And then I was over the age of 35. So they had said like, okay, it's just mandatory. Like you kind of go to a high risk doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, so we go, speaking of another major grief, we go to the high risk doctor, we, uh, we're getting the sonogram, you know, and we see the like baby, we see the fetus, Mm -hmm. we see the baby on the screen, the baby's moving around, but the woman giving the sonogram was totally silent. Wasn't saying a word. So of course, in hindsight, I know she knew the minute she brought up the sonogram that something- But at the time you didn't think anything of it. We didn't think anything of it. So she said, well, I'll be right back. I'm going to get the doctor or whatever. So we just thought routine, right? So our doctor comes in, Dr. Kelly, who we now love and have become friends with. And she said to us, you know, I'm really sorry, but your baby is not going to make it. You're having a molar pregnancy. And essentially what happens is all these little cysts grow in the placenta and your ovaries and the baby cannot survive. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. You talk about trauma. Oh, so emotional. So we we were like in shock. We like, I didn't believe her. You know, I went got a second opinion. Um, and the woman was like, Oh no, you're, you're having a molar pregnancy. I had never, how many weeks was this? It was fairly late. It was like, I think when I had the DNC, it was like 15 weeks. So we, Oh my goodness. Yeah. We, we were like beyond the first trimester. So it was probably like 12 weeks, 13 weeks. And then two weeks after that, um, because there was, 
you know, the baby was still alive initially, but right after we got the diagnosis, like three or four days later, the baby had passed. So, um, and then about a week later we had the DNC. So it was crazy. It was actually less than a week then we had the DNC, but it was, yeah. I mean, you talk about another grieving and then, you know, that was really like a huge trauma that Schman and I went through together. Yeah. 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 And and I mean, it it was multiple traumas on top of each other because not only did you have the miscarriage, but then you ended up having to go through rounds of chemo. Oh my God. It was crazy. So yes, with a molar pregnancy. So we had what is considered a partial molar pregnancy because we had a fetus. Some women have a molar pregnancy and there's never any fetus. It's just this kind of like group of cells that develops. Mm -hmm. So they, they did the DNC and you have to go for these monthly and weekly blood draws to make sure your HCG level is dropping. And the HCG, as you know, you've had a baby is what they measure to, to tell you you're pregnant and that certain measurements kind of correlates with how many weeks you are. Right. So after we had the DNC, we, we grieve losing this baby. It was a little boy. We, I have to start these weekly blood draws. And initially the, the HCG was going down, but I, one of the signs that I knew something was wrong is after the DNC, they said, okay, you'll probably bleed like for a couple weeks, but then your bleeding will stop. And if your bleeding continues, that can kind of be a sign that the HCG is, is rising, but Sometimes it's not, you know, every woman's different. Okay, well, my bleeding never went away. So I had this DNC in November, December. I, I remember it because it was Christmas time. I was, I had to go for a blood draw, like maybe before Christmas Eve. Get the results after Christmas. My HCG was rising. Oh, geez. So we have the holiday. I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy the holiday because, um, you know, the thought was I'll probably have to do some methotrexate shots, which are a form of chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, everything will be fine. Right. And the, the shitty part is after you have a molar pregnancy, you can't get pregnant for six months. Cause they want to make sure this oh, wow. CG comes down yeah. right, and stays down. Otherwise it could be an indicator that you have this gestational cancer, which how was that for you not to interrupt, but like, was, were you just kind of like going through it at the time that you were like, okay, fine. Like we'll wait six months. I probably need that anyway. Or was that like incredibly painful for you to even hear that? That was painful too, because if you have a regular miscarriage, you can try like the yeah. following month, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was a huge bummer coming off of, you know, we had this amazing wedding and everybody like said, oh my God, your wedding's one of the best weddings we've been to. We were just like on this Aww. high, right? Yeah. So that was really a bummer. Um, but we thought, all right, you know, we'll wait six months. We'll go on a honeymoon. We'll everything will be great. So this is 2019. And then January, 2020, I'm, I wake up one morning, I'm getting ready for work and I start hemorrhaging. So (laughs) it was like, it, it was crazy, Gianna. And the whole time, you know, the doctors had been saying to me, like, this is really rare. So they're like, it'll never happen. But if it does, you need to call (laughs) 911 or get to the hospital ASAP. So I wake up and I start hemorrhaging and I'm like, holy shit. I'm hemorrhaging. So I call 911, you know, and I, there's always comedy in every like tragedy, right? So the EMT workers that come are super hot. Like they're all like Jack, they all work out. <laughs> These guys are so fucking hot. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot <laughs> believe it. Like the whole team, like even the woman, I think she was like, you're like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's you know, cool. I'm like, meanwhile, like my entire bathroom looks like a blood scene, right? I'm like, ah! <laughs> 
so, you know, get to the hospital, have to have emergency surgery. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. I got, I had a blood transfusion to two um, pints of blood. Cause I had lost so much blood <laughs> Stay in the hospital overnight. Crazy. My mom comes, it was insane. And so I can remember saying to my OB and high risk OB, I was like, I am never getting pregnant again. I didn't realize all this shit could happen from getting pregnant. Like never again. And my OB was like, okay, all right. You know, one day at a time. So I had to do uh, 12 shots, which is four rounds of methotrexate shots at an infusion center. So all this happens. And then I don't know, I'm sure you, you have, or, or know somebody, but like when you walk into a chemo center, you're just like, I can't believe this is happening. Like that, I'm going to be, I'm going to cry again, but that day was so like emotional for me. Like just after not having a baby, everything, like walking into that cancer center that day was just like, I, how am I here? You know, like it was crazy. Yeah. So anyway, we get through that. And ironically, my last shot was like a week before the pandemic started. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You were all healthy and ready to go to stay inside for six months. (laughs) No, we get the all, we get the clear that my methotrexate shots are done. Right. And then the pandemic starts. So, uh, and then on top of waiting, like we didn't, we didn't have to wait. We had to wait nine months, not six months because my HCG draws started over again when I had the hemorrhage. So like once you do the methotrexate, it's six months, actually it was six months after your last shot is when you can get pregnant because they have to make sure your HCG stays down. You know, it's It's so crazy that this is even a thing because I had never even heard of it until you started talking about it on Instagram. And it's like, I've heard about other people since, but you're so right. I mean, I just don't think that they, (laughs) they prepare us for what the hell can happen when you get pregnant. Well, I feel like they shouldn't because if they did, then nobody would. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like if I had known all that, I'm like, I wouldn't have done it. But you know, I had an awesome doctor team, like an awesome OB team, which I, they delivered KJ. They were amazing. And both the women were like, look, this, I know this seems really shitty and you've just been the 1%, but you really can't, you will get pregnant. You will have a healthy pregnancy. You guys got pregnant the first time you're very fertile you just have to get through this. Yeah. And you know, you have to work through your grief. Like they were very, they said to us, you, sh- you need to see a therapist. You need to talk about this. Oh, pregnancy good. Loss. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how was it? I mean, do you feel like you were able, able to even really grieve the miscarriage because you were just getting like hit on the head with one thing after another? Uh, I mean, me, thankfully we've been working with our couples therapist for a couple of years. So she was right on it. So we saw her like every couple of weeks, like talking through it. I mean, I have to tell you, I probably have never cried as much as I did from November, 2019 to like March, 2020. It was like nonstop. So it was, it was rough, but you know, I mean, look, we have a beautiful, like, as you know, right. You go through the lowest lows and then life also gives you the highest highs. So, I mean, I'm so grateful. I had, I had an amazing pregnancy. I had no hiccups, like no drama. The delivery was thank God, like uneventful. Um, AJ is like healthy in here. So it's all meant to be right. I mean, that baby was just not going to be healthy to survive. Now I have this amazing, healthy son. 
Right. What was it like when you found out you were pregnant again? Well, as you, as you probably experienced, you like all those emotions come back up, right? So you're, you're super excited. And I can remember it was last summer in Maine in the, you know, obviously we're still in the pandemic and my mom is, my mom's hysterical. So she loves when I'm home, she wants to like drink a bottle of wine every night together. So we'd been, you know, I'd just been drinking with her and I was like, God, you know, I think I was supposed to start my period. So I was like, I better take a pregnancy test just to make sure. She was like, all right, well, hurry up. I mean, I really want to have a glass of wine. Like it's a beautiful, <laughs> let's look. You got to move on so I can yeah, have this. Let's have wine. So I took the test and I was pregnant. So I came back and I was like, mom, I have good news and bad news. You know, the bad news is I can't drink wine with you. The good news is you're going to be a grandmother. Oh my gosh. So she was so excited. Uh, but it, it was definitely like triggering again. Like we, yeah. I tell people I had scanxiety, which is like scan anxiety until the 18 week mark, because yep. we were really like, look, once the 18, 20 week mark, if all your genetic stuff comes back, if all your, you know, mm. uh, oh my God, what's spina bifida is fine. Like if all, the chances are you're going to have a, a very successful, healthy pregnancy. Yeah. So I couldn't really rest until then. It was very anxiety inducing. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine because fortunately, and you know, knock on all woods, like I have never had a miscarriage, but I have close friends who have, and even being on the periphery of that experience, it's traumatizing. So I, I feel for you as being somebody who's gone through it yourself. And I like their experience definitely bled over into me because it was hard for me to kind of accept that this was real, but it was like, well, I got to wait until this appointment. And then I got to wait until this appointment, but then we got to see what the anatomy scan says. I mean, it's really, it's really tough. I mean, there's oh a lot God. of the physical aspect of it too, but it's like, you know, the, the mental aspect of, of what that does to a person. And then it's just, and ugh. meanwhile, you can't drink or smoke weed through this, right. whole thing. you know, right. <laughs> okay. If right. I, I mean, they just tie your hands and legs up and they say, you just, you know, sit here and deal with it. And then we'll tell you in nine months how it all goes. You're like, what? Oh, and then when it happens, we're going to hit you over the head again. And then we're going to give you all this other but it's beautiful. And I love it. I love my daughter. <laughs> I know me too. Me too. Right. I'm like, I want to like, if I could get pregnant again tomorrow, I would like, I want another child. I loved like the whole experience, but it, yeah, it's definitely miscarriage sucks. And it, it yeah. you know, it sucks no matter when you have it, whether it's six weeks in or cause you just put so much stock into someone that you've never met, you know, but it's yeah. like so exciting. Well, that's what it is. And it's the same thing with like grief in general, when, when you lose somebody that is here in the physical world of like, you grieve the future, you grieve the things that you're not going to be able to have with that person or with that baby. Like the second that you found out you were pregnant, I imagine you were like, okay, let me look at the calendar. When's nine months. What's going to happen. Okay. This is what's going to be like when I give birth. And this is what my, our first year is going to be. Oh, and we have to get this type of outfit. And like, it's so hard to not immediately get ahead of yourself with pregnancy. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because with the first baby that did not live, I, I don't know, it was weird. And maybe this was like a premonition or something, but I refused to buy anything. I was like, you know, I just want to make sure this baby's okay. I just want to make sure this baby's okay. And it was weird because I didn't really have any symptoms. Like I'm a person that's addicted to symptoms, you know, like mm -hmm. the and now I'm a hypochondriac. So the minute I have like, oh my God, my shoulders ache, like I've got to go in. I need a full body scan, you know, like I, so, so I, but I tell people I really, I didn't really have any symptoms with the molar pregnancy. And the only thing that I would tell people is I sort of had this, I never felt morning sickness, but I never felt great, if that made any sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like with my son, I had like 
serious morning sickness. I was like, oh shit, yeah. this is way different than the molar one. I had you know? morning, noon and night sickness. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. that's yeah. brutal. That's why I forget. You and I were messaging on Instagram at one point. I was like, oh yeah, no, you're having a boy. Like you're fine. Like, because it was, I had a girl and I was just, I threw up until 35 weeks. Oh God, I feel <laughs> for you. I, is that, you're probably like not excited to have another child after no, that. No, I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would do it again in a heartbeat because that's how obsessed with her I am. And also my delivery was like the labor and delivery of dreams, I feel. So I like, oh, really? yeah, I needed that. <laughs> I really needed that. I always <laughs> joked, I'm like, this baby better come out holding a bottle of champagne. <laughs> and she almost did. I mean, it was a beautiful, I was really happy with my delivery. So I love the girl. I don't yeah. know how people do it for like 25 hours. Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. So, but the thing I love about you is like, you're going through this incredibly hard time with the miscarriage, but you still stay at least on, on the outside to, to your social media following so funny and positive and, and you're real and, and you're, you're, you're posting yourself in your underwear, giving yourself the methotrexate shots. I mean, you're just being like, I would say a beacon of hope for everybody. You know, if someone's going through it to be like, okay, yeah, this may be a really horrible thing that I'm going to have to encounter, but I can look at Sarah Frazier and see not only did she have a beautiful baby, but she was able to keep up a positive attitude and, and keep going throughout all of it. Well, I get that from my mom. And, you know, I said to you, like when my dad passed, it was like two weeks and then you move on. But what I do like about my mom is she, she doesn't dwell like, mm -hmm. like it's and and I do think that we need that. Cause I, I love that we're going through this sort of spiritual and mental health aware, like awareness, yeah, yeah. you know, and people are really talking about their issues and anxiety and all, all those things, right. That we all face. But at some point you have to do the work and then you have to like leave your house and move on. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and embrace life. Otherwise we know, I mean, you can stay right. home and be sad forever, you yeah. know, and certainly people do that. So what I love and get from her is like she, and we did a funny video when she, after I had the hemorrhage and I was like, thanking all everybody for all the sweet messages. And I was like, oh, you know, it was just such a scary time. And my mom's in the video and she's like, all right, get over it enough. You know, you're fine. <laughs> but it's, I love that in a way because it yeah. is like, that's what I want to say to people is you, you have to feel all the feels, but right. then you got to get up and you have to laugh because we're all in it. You know, we're, yeah. all, we're all in tragedy. We're all like, it's coming to all of us, you yeah. know? So it's like, then you got to pick up, you got to pick yourself up. You got to laugh and you got to go through the steps. And and that's just what I want to convey to people. And I definitely want to do it real. Cause I'm really tired of people like portraying one thing and then they live a whole different life. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel like we're kind of coming to the end of that. Not the end. I feel like it's always going to be this way, but the way there will, I will say the one powerful positive thing about social media lately is like people are getting called out on their shit. I guess you're right. I like, yeah, yeah. I mean, boy, if you're not transparent and I know Chrissy Teigen like comes to mind and, and God, she's had her own tragic, you know, uh, miscarriage story. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that's, that's really what I want. And I think having my son has made me because I definitely have gone through all those phases of like, I just want to be rich. I want to be famous. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care, you know? And now I'm like, I honestly don't give a shit if any of that happens. Like, I just perspective. Like, yeah. yeah. I just want to have like a great, healthy family and have fun. And I really never want a job where I can't truly be my crazy self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, you spend all this time just trying to be somebody else. And it's like, for what? Yeah. For what? Yeah. 
So how is the relationship with your mom now in terms of talking about your dad? I know you, you had two weeks when you were younger, but have you ever gone back to it? Do you guys talk about him? I mean, is he like somebody that's in conversations on the daily or does your mom ever break down and say, hey, I'm having a really hard time. I really miss dad. She, you know, she, yes, a couple of years ago, absolutely. We, we really revisited the whole thing. And I think now what's so nice is we can really have conversations of good memories of instead of it being like, oh my God, we can't talk about, you know, like we, and, and she, uh, like, she is my, my bestie and my role model and everything. Cause she can really have great conversations about him and doesn't get emotional anymore. And I think she just, I, I think she just has a great attitude of life. Like mm -hmm. just, you know, you have to keep going and that's what he would want. And I think she totally embraces that lives it like to the fullest. And yes, he is a topic of conversation a lot. And, and mostly I think probably I'm the only person that still cries all the time. You know, I think, well, currently, because I think I just have, you know, all kinds of hormones. Hormones. On. Yeah. But she, uh, no, we talk about him often and it's great memories. And she really is like, she can talk about it without being emotional. Yeah. We try to talk about our parents all the time. And yeah, I mean, they're, they're like in conversation all the time. It's almost as if like they're still around sometimes. I think with some of it, you know, you weren't able to meet your father-in-law. My dad was, was, or Mark was around my dad, but not like as intently as I, as I, you know, wish he was like, he has an understanding of who my dad was, but he says he's learning more. Like he feels like he knows more about him through the way that we've talked about him after all these years. So like, there are things now where, and I wonder if you can do this with, with Schman's dad or where my husband will be like, oh, that's so your dad or like, oh God, your dad would have said like X, Y, Z right now. And it's just amazing. Like that. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like we are at that. Obviously I didn't know Jeff and, and my husband didn't know my dad, but I think for each of us, we say that about like, oh my, or we tell funny stories about yeah. what our dads would have done or said. Yes. I, I love yeah. that. I think those are great conversations to have. And, and we do that. Yeah. And definitely do that around KJ. And I plan to do it with Sienna because I grew up my, we have, you know, history repeats itself. My uh, grandfather, I never met him. So my dad's dad, but I feel yeah. like I did because I grew up on stories of what he was like, what he would do, how he would be dancing on the table at Christmas, like the craziness that he had brought to the family. It was talked about all the time. So I feel like I have a very good understanding of who this person was. And that's what I want for my daughter too. Like I want her to so great to, to not just be like, oh, there's that person in the corner in a frame that we never really talk about. Like I want her to be like, to stand loud and proud and say who she knew who her pup up and her, her mom were. I love that. I think that's such a great, thank you for that nugget. Cause I'm going to do that. I love that. Good. Good. So we always like to have a little bit of celeb news here in this podcast. And the big one going on right now is Chrissy Teigen is having her fall from grace with everything going on with designer Michael Costello. I, I mean, every time I open up Instagram, something new is going on with that. So I wanted to know a, your thoughts on that. B, your thoughts on Chrissy Teigen in general, because she really was somebody that brought miscarriage to the forefront and had a lot of awareness when she went through it. Um, and then see if there's other celebrities out there that helped you get through what you were going through. Okay. That is, there's so many good questions. Um, well, first of all, I mean, like, and you know, you've had friends that have had miscarriages, but I, 
you know, I have so much empathy for her, like to lose their baby at 20 weeks. You know, I can't imagine. No. Right. And she had to deliver him. I mean, no, no. Oh, so much. So, you know, to me, everything she's going through doesn't take away from that grief. Like I know exactly. Yeah. That she went through, you know, I, the celebrity thing, and this is one of the things I'm wrestling with as a new mom is I, I have for years reported on, been a part of celebrity stuff. And it's funny. I think I'm just getting to a phase where I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. I just like, yes, I love a juicy story. I love a documentary, but I'm sort of less and less interested. And the Chrissy thing you know, I, th- I think she just made her name after modeling a little bit on Twitter in, in going after people and having these opinions and hot takes. And certainly I do that too and have in the past. So I can't, you know, bring judgment there. I just found the most disturbing part is that she was almost 30 going after Courtney Stoden, who was 16 at the time and going into her DMS and telling her that she should kill herself. And even with the insane. And even with the Michael Costello thing, you know, telling him that if someone who uses the N word should die, it's like, I don't know. I mean, to me and it, look, we all have our issues, right? I'm the first person to go. I I mean, I've made tons of mistakes. So Mm -hmm. I just think that needs some soul searching because that to me was like really too far. I get if maybe you're making a joke on Twitter, like, oh, this idiot's so stupid, you know, she should off herself or something. Okay, that's terrible, but maybe you are trying to be funny. But then to go into right. their DMs and tell them. Taking it a whole other level, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I just actually posted a video about this. I just, I, I'm just giving it a break. I'm sort of unfollowing her, but I've kind of unfollowed like a lot of celebrities recently because I just am sort of over the, like we were talking about, like people portray themselves as one way, but they're really something else behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just need a break, I think. Yeah. I kind of, you know, there's a lot of silver linings to everything that we just went through in the past year with COVID, but I felt one of them was like, it really had people peel back their layers. Like when you couldn't be all done up and made up at events and this and that and celebrities doing whatever it was like, oh, you want to put content out there? Great. Well then show me you in your sweatpants, hanging out, eating some popcorn with, you know, whoever it is like, and it's kind of become more um, acceptable. And I hope it stays that way because I think that's, that's going to be really helpful to people moving forward, I think. Oh, I think authenticity is going to be huge. And I think just owning your mistakes. And I I think because social media has been so divisive and so like um, pitting people against each other, I really feel like open conversations are going to win over the next couple of years. Shows that can have people from different sides and different points of views. Yeah. Uh, because I think people are getting tired of tuning into their network where they just hear you know, one, one whole side and then everybody judges the other side. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think it it has exposed a lot, which is really a great way to put it. Yeah. And in other news, so sorry for your loss to bachelor nation because Chris Harrison is no longer Chris Harrison. I know. I I, I, I watched Chris Harrison. Listen, I understand everything. You know, I I do not agree with comments that he made. I do not agree with the way that ABC has handled any of it, any of it for like almost a decade now. I I don't, I don't know if this was the way to go. I feel like, like the audience, like Bachelor Nation always screams at ABC and the the producers to do one thing. And then they end up doing like another, that isn't what anybody asked for type of thing. But I I think in this people were calling for him to be axed. I 
I watched the very first season of The Bachelor uh, with Matt James. I I loved it. I mean, it, it's like you know mindless you know entertainment. So I, I found that was it your very, first time ever watching. Yeah, I I'm never shocked. watched Bachelor. I know, never got into it ever. That was like you need then to like I, go back and watch others because that was just a shit season in general. That's what everyone says. I I thought it was kind of good, and then uh, I actually liked Chris Harrison, and I really thought that Chris would take a break, and then Emmanuel Ocho, who did. The kind of stepped in for him, yeah, and hosted the final. I thought he was great, so I actually thought that they were going to bring Chris back and maybe bring him, and the two of them were going to kind of like dual co-host. I was kind of shocked that Chris left, but my guess is I bet maybe Chris just like got fed up. I almost think Chris didn't want to come back because he was probably pretty pissed that they didn't really have his back. You know, he made he said these things and he apologized, and I think he, I think after twenty seasons, he probably thought, look, I've I've put my heart and soul into this. And if you guys don't know my character and aren't going to back me, like, fuck you all. I'm leaving. Yeah. That's kind I of think my, my biggest gripe with it all is like the whole thing just needs a complete overhaul. Like the way that they've handled it with race and diversity and topics that they, that they allow them to discuss about, or, or some of the, you know, I mean like the, the way that they promote the, the sexuality and, and almost like sexual harassment, like on, on some of the challenges and, and the, the things that they do in the show, it all needs an overhaul. And, but you're going to tell me that just taking the host off and then not address any of that other stuff. And that's just going to be like the magic cure for it. Like, I, I, I think that they needed, and, and as if we're just going to brush it under the rug and then continue with Katie's season, it, it just doesn't, strike the right chord with me and i was a an avid bachelor watcher i have not even watched this season yet and i thought that i would because our girl katie thurston lost her father yes 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 and it was something that she spoke about in in matt's season so i I did a little digging on it because i wanted to see what the story was there and if it was going to become part of her storyline like it was with becca kufrin did you watch the bachelorette ever do you know who she is no. So see, I never, I never watched the bachelorette or bachelor okay. um, until this year and having gotten into the bachelorette this season, even with our girl, Katie. Yeah. So Becca Kufrin was a couple seasons back. She was on Ari's season and okay. she had lost her father when she was in her teens and had talked about how like the, the, I think it was the, when they had their final date, like right before he was going to say who he chose, she said, this was the day that my dad had passed away. I feel like this is all a sign. I feel like he would love you. It was very emotional. He ends up choosing her. And then I don't know if you know the story a few weeks later, he goes back on it and chooses his runner up. And they're now married with one child and she's now pregnant with twins. Damn. So wait, Uh so Becca, who thought it was a sign, like thought they had a connection. He ends up kind of dumping her and then goes with the other woman. Oh, damn. Yeah, horrible, horrible. <laughs> yeah. But she, I mean, she, for me, I, I always think about her because for me, it was right around the time um, when I lost my dad. And I just remember being, feeling very connected to her and be like, wait a second. Like she looks good. She's smiling. She's happy. Like that can happen because I don't feel any of those things right now. So I was kind of looking forward to there being another bachelorette that might have put that on the forefront. And, and I don't know if she's spoken about it at all in the season. Like I said, I haven't been watching. As you know, it's an emotional one and, and boy, do people grieve, like you said, in all different ways and at different times. Yeah. Yeah. Is, are there any celebrities that you feel connected to because of, because of that? Like, are you hyper aware of it? Like I am, like I, I could name 
like off the bat, like a bunch of celebrities that have lost parents or siblings or somebody, because now that I've gone through it, I'm, I'm hyper in tune. Oh, that's, that's a fascinating point. I, I would say no, I guess I, I don't think about it or identify like immediately with celebrities. I identify with celebrities, you know, Oprah is one of my favorite. And I always think mm -hmm. about why I love Oprah so much. And it's because like, that's kind of who I try to model just like my my whole brand after, because she was the first person to really go there with like everything, you know, yeah. like being sexually abused, being pregnant, like, you know, by a cousin, like, I mean, all the horrible shit that be people really try to hide. She was the first to go, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to put this happen and let's talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think I, and I just like, I'm in love with her. Like I, I, to this day, like, I just think, and even though people think she's like, deviated from maybe her brand, but I just think she was so back in the day, like radically transparent in a way that I'm like, oh, I want to be that person, you know? Mm -hmm. So I identify more with people. I think that are willing to just put their whole, all their stuff out there and just be like, look, this is, this is yeah. who I am. Like warts and all. And I do think to some degree, Chrissy Teigen has that. I think yeah. it's just, you know, you're always just a She's little not surprising it in the right way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I have to say, I identify more with celebrities that are just fully transparent. Yeah. Fully themselves, genuine, authentic, all things. Yes. And I can say you're doing a great job at it because I feel all those things about you. And I really love <laughs> watching all of your content, reading all of your things. I mean, you, you really just take life by the horns and you say, I'm going to take all of you on this journey with me. I'm going to tell you all the, the good, the bad and the bougie, all of it in between. And, and it's, it's fun to watch, but you're normalizing a lot of the things along with it. Well, thank you. That is ultimately what I want to do. And I mean, I wish I had Oprah's like class, but I have such a trashy mouth. I, my new slogan is, you know, the heart is pure and the mouth is trash. Cause it's just <laughs> <laughs> I curse the whole time. And I'm always like talking about sex. So, but thank you. That is the ultimate compliment because I, and having KJ has just made me want to be even more transparent and document our lives for him, you know, yeah. in his life. Of course, he'll probably turn 20 and hate us. But anyway, that's our plan now. <laughs> we have 20 more years to deal with that. 20 more years to smother him before he gets to that point and he can do it himself. He'll, yeah, he'll probably hate us either way, but whatever. <laughs> Any final thoughts on things that have helped you in grieving your dad and grieving your miscarriage and, and grieving whatever it is you have in life? I mean, things that you want to impress upon others that should be something that they turn to to help them during a really tough time. Oh, the, the biggest thing I can say is do, don't hold it in. Like yes. even like this podcast, you know, look, I obviously I got emotional <laughs> the whole time. Do that, do keep doing it and do it over and over and over. And I think we all like, and you were saying this, how people really are awkward about grief. People are awkward about grief and they're awkward about tears, but just like do it, just cry, break down because everybody, everyone's feeling that they, they just don't know how to react either to it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and you know, if you're a parent and, and like, you know, your spouse dies and, and you have kids in high school, like get them in grief therapy, even when they say they're okay. Cause like my yeah. brother and I both talk about it now and we're like, shit, you know, so many things happen in our lives. You know, my brother drank a lot. Like we, I over ate, like we, you know, you have to, what you, my therapist always says this to me, what you resist persists. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is, is you think oh, you just think you're over grief and it pops back up. So yeah, keep dealing with it and letting it out. Fantastic. Thank you. Because I try and tell the listeners that all the time. They probably don't listen to me. So I'm glad <laughs> to have you tell them too. They probably no, you know, no one listens until like they're really ready. Right. And then the light bulb goes off, but that's, what's great about your show. And that's what I try to do on mine is you never know who's listening and what conversation will be their lightning rod, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool I love that. Our work. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Oh my God, Gianna, thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on your show. I No, I am so honored to have you here. I still even feel, I feel like I'm going to sit down after this and be like, oh my God, I just, I just interviewed Sarah Frazier. Like how freaking cool is that? I love it. Well, you're, you're definitely coming on my show because <gasps> I, I love to. You're, you're a guest, you're coming on. So, yeah. so get a list and you're going to be on this summer. Okay. I would absolutely love that. And then we'll have a little play date with KJ and Sienna and they can do their thing. They can talk about their grandparents and it can just be like a wonderful time for everybody. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Gianna. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at so sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of so sorry for your loss. So stay tuned.